Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. In each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. A reminder that this interview was recorded before Corona hit, so we do not talk about the subject that has dominated our lives for the past few weeks, which hopefully you'll enjoy. That next week will be the last episode of season four, and then we're jumping into something that feels a bit more relevant. So keep an eye out for the announcement next week on exactly what that is, but I'm really, really excited to share it with you all. But back to today's episode, my guest is Sandy Seeger, writer and founder of Australian online site Onya Magazine, and one of my first bosses actually in my writing career, which we do talk about. We also discussed writing as therapy, waking up overnight with curly hair and learning to love it, finding the inspiration to be a little bit braver, and the airbrush-like powder that will make your makeup look magical. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, rate five stars, and write a review. I am an independent podcaster doing this all myself, so all your support makes the world of difference in helping other people and new people find the podcast, which means that I can keep making it for you, which I absolutely love doing. So thank you so, so much for all your support. If you are listening and feel like sharing it on Instagram, you can share a screenshot onto your Instagram story and tag me at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see. And if you need some more Beauty Escape, don't forget you can sign up to my beauty newsletter, It's a Beauty. The link is in the show notes or find me on Instagram with my personal account at Brittany Beauty BTS. Now over to Sandy. Enjoy. Sandy, welcome to Beauty Island. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I suppose a good place to start is where your journey with beauty began. Can you remember your first memory of beauty? I do, actually. I remember sitting in, I can see it quite vividly, my old bathroom at my parents' house, where I grew up in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne. And I can see my mum getting ready in the morning for work and... She used to use this awful hairspray. I think, what's that pink bottle of hairspray? Seedles. Awful. And it used to stink out the place and everyone used to complain about it. But she (laughs) would always pop lipstick on every morning. I remember she would say the same thing every single time, which was, oh, I just look so washed out if I don't have a a little bit of lippy on in the morning. And I couldn't, I can't tell you the brand. It it wasn't red. It wasn't pink. It wasn't maroon it was something in the middle of all that maybe like a really nice nude and yeah that's sort of the first memory I I maybe was four five six just seeing that repeated her doing that I don't know if that's where my love affair with lip products began maybe maybe not subconsciously somewhere. yeah now the first product on your list is the one that you grew up watching someone apply or you were surrounded by which is the Elizabeth Arden eight hour cream lipstick is that that one or this is something else so that is the Elizabeth Arden eight hour cream that sort of balm has just always been a staple in my bathroom I remember growing up right through to now mum always has some on hand the lipstick like I said I couldn't tell you the brand it very well could have been an Elizabeth Arden lipstick in terms of beauty and, and using a product I remember just thinking that 
eight-hour cream was so luxe and lovely and expensive and it seemed to fix everything. So, yeah, and I just use it on my lips all the time. And those kind of cult products that have endured, like Elizabeth Arden eight-hour cream, there's been a few iterations, but it's been around for a, for a while. Mm. I think it's always so interesting when you can pin it back to those early moments and it's something that's still around today. I've got it in my bathroom cabinet, so there it's funny. I, now that I think about it, maybe mum had a bit of an Elizabeth Arden kind of obsession because I remember Red Door was always in the bathroom as well so she used to spray that a fair bit. If we were to look at the school reports of teenage Mm -hmm. Sandy yeah would they give us any indication of what you would go on to do? Probably yes in terms of the writing and the love of words I think I was always pretty naturally uh, good at English and subjects of the like and the humanities and not so good at maths and science, which would have been very clearly reflected in my report. Obvious to anybody where I may end up. And tell me about about growing up. What, what were you like outside of that? I think as a young child, I was actually probably pretty shy and introverted in situations that were new to me. Um, but not certainly not at home in my sort of comfortable and safe environment. But definitely as I got older, I s- pushed myself out of that comfort zone a little bit and I started doing things like debating at school and was very active and involved. But I certainly wasn't loud or, you know, boisterous or um, I was like very compliant in class and, you know, never had a detention or anything like that. I was fairly sort of organised. But, um, yeah, I think I always had a little bit of a rebellious streak. I just didn't necessarily... Um, push that through in the wrong kind of time. I always knew time and place and when to challenge and not to challenge. And where did that love of writing come from? I'm not sure. I've always loved reading and I think the two have always gone hand in hand for me and I loved being read to when I was younger and, and had a lot of adults and older siblings read to me and then I started reading quite early and have not stopped really. And so... I don't know if the writing thing is just off the side of that, but I actually found in my parents' garage a number of years ago a journal I had when I was six and the the opening page says, when I grow up, I want to be a writer. And I always knew I wanted to write. So it's funny, isn't it? And we talk a lot about, you know, as you grow up and you're working full time, obviously, Mm. you have a son as well. Mm. There's a lot going on. Are you still, do you still have the time to read as much as you would like? It's funny. uh, No, probably. (laughs) I'd read all day, every day if I could. So that's not really realistic. But over summer, the summer just gone, I think I read about five or six books in January because we were sort of away on a couple of holidays. And I thought, well, this isn't sustainable to keep up as the year goes on. But if I can knock over a couple of books a month, I'd be happy. Um, So I probably don't get to read as much as I'd like. But now I'm a bit more particular about what I choose. And whether recently or just in your whole kind of reading career, is there one particular book or author that you always come back to or that you feel really had an impact on you? To put you on the spot because I know I didn't. No, no, that's fine. (laughs) There's probably so many, to be honest. A book that stands out in my mind, it's not one I necessarily go back to, but it was published about nine years ago and it's called The 36 and it's by uh, an author called Sigmund Siegreich who was actually 90 when he wrote the book and he was a Holocaust survivor and wrote about his experiences uh, in two different concentration camps. But 
within the book, it's sort of part memoir, almost kind of part life guide in the sense of the advice he passes on and and what he hopes readers can take away from it. And that is a book that I think about quite a lot. Uh, I I haven't necessarily read it too many times. I remember I read it in one sitting and it was quite confronting in various parts, but that's a book I love and recommend to so many people. The second product on your list was a few of the first products that you remember mm. owning yourself. So we've got Lip Smackers, yes. the um, Yalik Moisture Replenishing Day Cream and the yes. Rose Water Mist. So tell me about those. Yeah, so like I said, I love lip products and lip balm. All my life I've loved lip products and lip balm. So Lip Smackers and also those little red chapstick sticks that used to be around in supermarkets I used to hound my mum for them if we were shopping at the supermarket they're the two things and I honestly probably would have been five or six from when I started my little obsession into those products but in terms of a purchase one that I bought myself that I felt so grown up with it's definitely the Jolique uh, products that you mentioned because they were quite expensive I think I was like 17, 18 at the time and I'd just been working part-time and I've always had a little bit of a pull towards natural products or products that haven't been messed around with too much or maybe have some botanicals in them and so I don't know what it was specifically about Jolique that was so appealing to me but and I found those products worked as well so I don't use the, the day cream anymore, but I still could. I would, really. I love it. Before we get into more about your story, obviously mm-hmm. you are the founder and editor of On Your Magazine. Um, I wanted to touch on how we met because it's quite closely tied for me and my yeah. experience with Onya. I really find you inspiring in so many ways, but really attribute you with helping to start my career and getting me on the path that I'm on now because I was working in a bookshop um, in Mount Waverley and we had Maggie Alderson who was this. doing an event launching yes. her new book and I as the first year journalism student very nervously put my hand up to ask a question about you know how do you get your foot in the door and afterwards I think you went to my boss gave a business card and said if she wants to have a go at writing yeah. give give me an email and I did yes and we um, I worked for you for a few years yes and to me, that was my entry point into journalism. Aww. So firstly, thank you. Because Aww, you're so welcome. We wouldn't be here <laughs> if you True. hadn't given me your business card. True. But I know that's just one of many special memories that people have with Anya. So tell me about what inspired you to start here or what you felt was missing. When I launched Anya, it was in the uh, June of 2009. And I'd only really come up with a concept in the March of that year. So it wasn't a great deal of leading time. Prior to Anya, I had been editor of a magazine in Sydney called Mink Magazine for about a year and a half. But if I take another step back just briefly to give some context, I never thought about doing editing necessarily as a career or starting something of my own or having my own business. It's not something I'd ever really thought about. Back when I was at university, all I wanted to do was write. And even if, you know, think to that journal I found in my parents' garage, like at six years old, that's what I said I wanted to do. So I think in some ways I'd, and not necessarily in a bad way, but I probably had blinkers on being like, well, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to write. And so throughout high school, I volunteered at local newspapers and built up a portfolio and then when I was at uni I did the same thing and then when I finished uni I thought fabulous I'm just going to keep writing and I knew I didn't want to go into traditional journalism in the sense of newspapers or 
more the traditional cadetship kind of roles. I, I knew I wanted to do a whole variety of things in the lifestyle space that really interested me. And so I started doing freelance and actually getting paid for some, which was exciting. And I was doing everything from um, still a lot of volunteer stuff, but also writing for like online fashion blogs in the UK and basically anything I could get my hands on, writing gig reviews for Beat magazine, whatever it may have been. And then I started a blog in that time, which doesn't exist anymore, but it was called Miss Sandy, as a way to showcase the work that I had published and, and the pieces that I'd published. And I only ever thought of it as an online portfolio, really. And then something strange happened in that people started finding that blog and commenting on the articles that I'd posted or the pieces. So then I just started blogging almost as a reaction to that. Uh, this was back in, I don't know, 2005, six, seven, when blogging was like a big thing and that's where communities and forums were found. And I started writing just anecdotes and thoughts and opinions and I wrote a piece on how I'm really clumsy and fall a lot and knock glasses off tables because I wave my hands around so much and things like that and uh, this director of a, a media company in Sydney had found it and said she thought it was really hilarious and, and could they publish it on their website and I said yes absolutely go for it and from that is how I landed the role at uh, Mink magazine. So it's it's funny I got this email one Saturday afternoon with an offer to be the editor and I think I was about 23 and I was completely petrified and f had no idea what I was doing so I of course said yes <laughs> and that's how my sort of journey into that began and I think that just saying yes has been honestly like I've just said yes to a lot of things and it's really been the difference in my career because I think if I had have stuck with my blinkers on I would have missed out on so many incredible opportunities and I think with anything that's in the creative space you've got to just say yes. When I left Mink about a year and a half um, after being there I was still based in Melbourne covering the Mink was all about upcoming emerging talent so I was based in Melbourne covering fashion, um, music, different kind of events and writing about them but then I was also managing the Sydney team and editing their work and uploading onto a website and I finished that year and a half with them completely exhausted and a bit depleted because I hadn't been doing very much writing of my own and I was like well I'm happy to just say yes and do this brand new thing but I also miss doing what I think is a really core part of me and I was working very very hard for very little money so I just decided that if I was working that hard for somebody else's dream maybe I could do it for myself and yeah I, I left I think it was in the 2008 like maybe the September I went back to writing freelance for some time and then like I said it was about the March of 2009 that I just thought I've just got to do this and Anya's real focus is on Australia and celebrating Australia, whether that's through arts and culture, travel, fashion, beauty, food, drink. There's a huge range of sort of um, verticals in that lifestyle space. And I just came up with it because I was thinking, what, what am I not finding online that I would like to? And what stories am I not reading at this, at this particular moment in time? And what would I like to see? So I just created this website that was what I wanted at that time, probably rather selfishly. But <laughs> thankfully, it just so happens that other people enjoyed it too. Um, so that's kind of, yeah, how it, how it came about. And I remember going to register, register a domain. I didn't even know what I wanted to call it yet. And I was using all these 
um, titles that had Australia in them and people had obviously pre-purchased those and it was like $5,000 for this dot com and I was thinking I don't have this money to do that. (laughs) So I thought what's a really positive but still colloquial Australian term that I can put in and Anya was the first thing that came to mind and I typed it in and it was available and I went great that's the name. (laughs) And as as we were talking about before uh, this year marks the 11th year of Anya magazine which is incredible. When you look back over that over a decade what's kind of the moment or one of the moments that stands out as kind of that pinch me feeling there's been a few there's been some really great partnerships I've been able to be involved in and wonderful people I've met and fantastic trips I've gone on and they've all been incredible but I think the one that has probably the most meaning to me and it sounds probably a little strange but is a story I got to do with a woman who found out her husband had been involved in a child porn ring and she was completely unaware of it Um, And with that came a lot of shame and embarrassment for her and she was shut out of her family, she was shut out of her community for something that people thought she was complicit in but she wasn't. Um, It was a really devastating story but also a very brave one. And so being able to tell people's stories like that, like with even the book I mentioned earlier, The 36, I got to interview that author and they're just moments that you never forget from ordinary people who have shown incredible strength and bravery at at times when they could have just fallen apart and I find that quite inspiring so like I said it's not glitz and glamour or anything like that but it's just those stories that really stay with you. No I love that way of looking at it because it's like you've created and built this platform to tell those stories which is such a kind of that realisation of the power and the difference that you're making as well. Mm, Hopefully. The third product on your list is the one that kind of defined your teenage years, which for you is the Poppy Lip Pots. Yes. Tell me about those. Yes, they were the, again, back to the lip thing. I sense a theme. but um, <laughs> It's definitely coming through. Yeah, strongly. Uh, they were just the pinnacle of cool at the time when I was in high school and um, they just were in those big clear pots and they were just this shiny Um, pot of goodness and yeah I think they were quite expensive at the time you know it was definitely a step up from the lip smackers and and the chapstick but um yeah I just loved them I loved everything about them I remember you'd put it on with your finger and it was so glossy and red and I went to an all-girls school and we weren't really allowed to wear any makeup but lip balm or you know gloss even was allowed so it was kind of like right I'm going all out here and it's going to be sticky and shiny and yeah I loved it. It was actually about this time last year when you were dubbed one of Melbourne's most influential That's people. right I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously with Anya revolving around and celebrating Australian stories Melbourne and you living in Melbourne Melbourne is really part of the heart of that. Absolutely. What does Melbourne mean to you why do you think it's a city that has that special something? I mean, I'm biased because I was born here, so I I do love it. But having travelled a fair bit and also having spent a lot of time with different people from lots of different countries that have spent time in Melbourne, I think it's easy to take for granted how incredible our city is, not just in terms of food and coffee and, you know, street art and the arts and culture scene in general. But I think in terms of its beauty, it can be quite underrated. Other, other cities or other parts of Australia are well known for 
this particular thing. Like we're not really well known for our beaches necessarily, but if you drive far enough, you'll find some amazing ones. And so I think not even just specific to Melbourne, but Victoria as a state is really diverse and I've said this before, if you're, if you're in Melbourne and you drive four hours in any direction, you will land in a, in a regional part of Victoria that is absolutely incredible and not just for the food and the wine necessarily, but for that arts and culture scene or whatever it might be that's emerging at that time. So yeah, I just, I'm very, I'm a very proud Melbourneian. I think that it's an incredible city and there's a lot of creatives in Melbourne. Um, and it's a really a city that supports creativity. So, yeah, it's lucky I live here. <laughs> no, I think that's a really interesting point as well. As you mentioned, you've done a lot of travel. I know that you used to Australian travel correspondent for Forbes. Yes, so yes. I think there is something quite incredible as well about going all over the world in a way that makes you almost view your hometown yeah. when it's Melbourne in a different light. So true. And I love so many other cities in the world. Like New York is one of my favourite places in the world but there is something about home isn't there the next products on your list are the ones that give you your signature look so there's a few of them uh, yes so I would love you to talk me through them we've got firstly the ones that make up your hair care <laughs> the NARS orgasm blush and the Mecca Max Coral Blush as well. Mm. So blush and hair care. Yeah, two totally different things. I'll start with the blush because that might be quicker. <laughs> but I think I always generally leave the house most days with a little, a little flick of blush on. I think it just brightens my face and gives I've got you know a fairly round face so it gives me a little bit of definition there where I need it and adds a bit of life to my face um and I really do love the NARS orgasm which I think is a pretty standard kind of love for many people all around the world and then there's there's a Mecca Max one that I found I love a coral and I find coral really suits my skin tone and there's a Mecca Max one it's great it's it's not too sparkly I don't want to be sparkling in the middle <laughs> of the day. So love some blush for that reason that gives a bit of life and colour to my face. Um, and in terms of hair, I think my hair is probably a big part of my look in some ways and who I am. Um, and it's interesting, I wasn't born with curly hair. I know, really? which is quite surprising because I have very curly hair. I had straight hair and I was probably about 12 and I remember going to the hair salon with my mum. She would visit her sister and then, you know, sometimes on a Saturday afterwards we would go to this hair salon and I said to her one afternoon when we were leaving, oh, I want to be like you and I want to be grown up and I want to sit in the chair and have my hair cut. And I was probably about 12 or 13 and... The next time she went for her appointment, she took me along and had made my own appointment and I got my long hair cut into a very short, sleek bob. And the next day, and I don't think it was just the haircut that did this, I think it was probably puberty as well, <laughs> but the haircut and puberty combined and I literally washed my hair the next day and it was curly. That is ha that, And people are astounded. That's crazy. It is a fact. This is a true story. And so... I didn't always have curly hair. So when this happened, I was mortified. And I remember crying and screaming and telling my mum to take me back to the salon 
and get them to fix it. <laughs> she was like, doesn't quite work that way. But I think I was quite brutal at the time. Like I was really unhappy about it. And I spent a couple of years doing everything I could to straighten it. So I would literally iron it with like a tea towel over the top. Horrific. Um, straighten it, wear it back, pulled really, really tight. I just didn't like it. And then I just got sick of that one day and went, oh, you know what? Like obviously this hair is here to stay. I'm just going to embrace it. And I have ever since. And now I love my curls. And so I have probably a particular method of looking after them. But I find it really works because curly hair is quite different from straight hair. Obviously, my hair loves anything that's nourishing and moisturising. So I'll always lean towards products that have a lot of nourishment and, and moisture in them. But in terms of how I look after it, a wide tooth comb is like the thing that I love. And I don't shampoo my hair necessarily every single day, but I do condition it most days, which sounds really odd. But so I wet my hair, condition it, run my wide tooth comb through it just in case there's any tangles or knots. Then I squeeze all the conditioner out of it and then hop out of the shower. And some days that's all I do. Most of the time I'll put some sort of balm in. Um, I love the hot tresses. It's like a leave-in moisture kind of balm. Mark Anthony do a couple of curl balms as well that I find my hair really responds quite well to. And away I go. If I'm going somewhere where I need, like it might be super windy or I need like a lot of long-lasting power, I might use a mousse or something with a bit more hold in it. But yeah, I'm yeah, my hair is like part of my look and so I don't necessarily spend a lot of time on it because I think like once you curls once you find a way to look after it yeah away you go exactly but yeah it's my it's my thing like hair products love them I change my hair products around quite often too though I'm not I tend to go back to the Mark Anthony or the hot tresses there's also a brand I found in the US um called I think it's just pronounced Jason and they have a lot of products that have no parabens and no nasties in them. Um, like they've got a gel that's like a flaxseed gel. It's made out of flaxseeds, which sounds really strange, but it's really effective um, and still soft without leaving the hair crunchy. So, yeah. It is so interesting as well because I feel like hearing your story, your kind of journey with your curls echoes a lot of what I felt as well. You mm. spent particularly those teenage years doing everything you can. I used to straighten my hair to then recurl it in the more <laughs> acceptable curls than what I had, which is just ridiculous and a huge waste of time. True. Um, the time is a big thing. It takes this a long time. This is why I just decided to embrace it because I just thought I cannot be bothered with all this routine of a morning. I, I don't want to spend 45 minutes on my hair and I don't ever. Once in a blue moon, I'll get a blow wave, but I don't do it. I wouldn't know how. But even then, I don't feel like myself anymore. It's really strange. I remember when I was pregnant, people would say, oh, I wonder if you'll lose your curls because of the hormones in the body um, changing. A lot of people find they might lose hair when they're pregnant or after they've you know, had their child or their hair might go limp and flat. And then I remember thinking, oh, this is so bizarre because I spent two years not wanting this hair, but now I don't want to lose it. Please don't let me lose my curls. And I didn't, so I was happy. <laughs> I want to talk to you a bit about creativity because mm-hmm. obviously as a writer it is a core thing that you need and I often think that one of the the greatest things and also simultaneously the most difficult things about working in something creatively like writing is that it's not a job that you can go in and just do it has to come from you so where do you get your inspiration from or how do you stay channeling that creative kind of 
energy rather than when you kind of hit writer's block or anything like that? Mm. I think early on I definitely felt like I had to be inspired or motivated but as I've continued on in my career I've realized sometimes like a a deadline doesn't care about whether you're inspired (laughs) or motivated and you develop and for each person this will be different but habits and routines that suit what you need I suppose in in some ways so in terms of what I write about now if I'm writing a review on a show or a beauty product or writing about a restaurant that's just opened, I, f- I find I can get that out fairly quickly because there's facts and you're dealing with information and um, you might have been to an event or something so you can write off what you've seen or felt or tasted. If I'm writing something more personal, writing for just my personal blog or something a personal piece for something else, that can – I still do kind of succumb to the idea of being inspired or having a feeling. But what I do now is, is a couple of the tricks that I use is I just have notes on my iPhone and I honestly – I might be in the car so I'll, I'll make a voice note if I'm, you know, driving or can't type. But if an idea pops into my brain or I think of something that I know I want to explore and maybe don't have the time to right at that moment I make a note of it I'd be lost without my notes some I've got a physical journal I use as well but that's not always convenient and I don't always have that on me and then I find if I'm sitting in front of my computer and I need to come up with something I go back into that note doc and then I look through all these feelings (laughs) or thoughts and quite often there's a pattern or a theme there and I might join a few things together certainly my emotion does play a part if I'm writing something personal so if I'm particularly riled up about something I find it really easy to write because like all that emotion and passion is coming through or likewise if it's you know extreme joy or gratitude or real sadness it's I find it quite easy to get stuff out when things are just sort of ticking along quite nicely it's yeah you might not feel necessarily inspired to write about something and that's when I go back to notes I've made or um, thoughts I've previously had and just try and tap into that so even when I travel I will write down cues or notes about the way something has made me feel and then I'll go back to it and and use that at a later date. I saw a tweet a few weeks ago actually that talked about how notes section on your iPhone is probably like the most revealing thing about you because you'll have like a list of things you need to pick up from the supermarket and then like your innermost darkest deepest thoughts. It is 100% true. It's like to do to buy I've got a running list of all these things notes to remember and then yeah secrets with my soul <laughs> we were talking about travel in special cities before I wanted to talk to you about New York which you mentioned because I know that a few years ago you went and you describe in in some writing on your blog about how I don't know whether it was it's a city that you love mm-hmm. but also the timing that you went there turned out to be this really pivotal mm. kind of reflection period. So tell me a bit about I guess the magic of New York and the significance of that trip as well. It's been the 20 when I was there in 2018 I think and I think that was at a point where a lot of things in my career were just aligning quite nicely and lining up. So obviously I've been chipping away at Onya for almost 11 years but it probably wasn't profitable at all for the first five to six really and I think that trip in 2018 was when things really started to fall in place and I was like oh I'm actually doing this now 
like this is my job where it once was a side hustle or something that I poured a lot of time and energy into but supplemented with other avenues and streams of income everything started to fall in place and I'm, I'm reminded of that quote where people say that you know it takes like 10 years to be an overnight success or what you know that famous quote and I, I think that feeling was really prevalent for me. But also as well, the year before that particular New York trip, I'd lost my dad. He'd passed away after a very sort of short but aggressive battle with um, mesothelioma, which is a type of asbestos cancer. Um, so that was pretty awful. And obviously losing anyone that's important to you, there's a period of grief that comes with that. And grief is constantly evolving and changing as well. Navigating losing a parent while raising a child and trying to juggle I'm probably what I call a bitzer, bits of this and bits of that. So trying to juggle all these things was really hard and challenging. And I think that particular trip came at a really good time where things started to fall into place again. But also I was completely alone for it as well. And while I've had trips alone for weekends, I'd never been so far away from home and completely alone. And it was wonderful with no disrespect to all the wonderful people in my life, but it was really <laughs> wonderful and I found that being alone and I don't necessarily think you need to be travelling to be alone, but taking yourself out of the familiar and the comfortable, even though New York's not a frightening place, like you can speak the language, it's fairly similar in many ways culturally, but still it's a place where everything is different and unusual and I just had to figure a whole pile of things out. But the thing with being alone is that you're forced to confront yourself and your thoughts after a while. So it's very easy in the busyness of life to just get distracted with lots of things and then six months can go by and you haven't maybe thought about why you feel a certain way about something or what it is that you really want to do or what your heart actually desires. But being on your own, there's only so much you can distract yourself <laughs> like you know, only so much Netflix you can watch and, and books you can read until you're lying there staring at the ceiling at night with hearing these strange sounds of a city and thinking, all right, well, I'd better sort this out. And the piece that you wrote on your blog about your father a few weeks after, as good as, as, good as can be expected, is one of like my favourite pieces of yours. Oh, it's just so you. open and vulnerable and, and moving. And I wonder when you are writing something like that, do you find that's almost part people talk about how writing can be cathartic is it a way for you to help to help you process the big events in your life or is it something absolutely. that you kind of can't do in the moment and need to do later no it absolutely is a way I think that I'm able to process and sort through my own thoughts as well I remember exactly when I wrote that piece I was staying at my mum's that night I remember waking up it was about three in the morning I could not fall back asleep and so I just got my laptop and wrote that in one go and published it and it was just from the heart and and very raw and very real but I find it so easy to write when I like I said when I'm fueled with emotion or whatever it may be so it's it's harnessing that at later dates that is something I'm still trying to work on but yeah using those tools like keeping notes and things for but um yeah definitely definitely writing is sometimes a bit like breathing for me or maybe even thinking I suppose I just sometimes I can't get the words out the way I want to verbally but then I could just write them down and I'm like ah yeah everything makes sense now and I feel better I feel like it's off my chest 
The fifth product on your list is your holy grail or greatest discovery, which is the Hourglass Ambient Ethereal Light Lighting Powder. Tell me about what you love about that so much. It is just like airbrush for the face, I find. I think I was at a Mecca makeup application and one of the makeup artists put it on me um, at, you know, towards the end. It sort of sets your makeup and it's one of the last sort of steps. And I don't know what it was about it, but I was like, oh, this looks amazing. And at the time I thought, oh, maybe it's just, you know, everything that she's done and all the makeup. And it probably was bits of that as well. But I bought this product and honestly, it is it is such a minor thing because if you don't use it, does your makeup still look great? Yes. But when you use <laughs> it, does it look totally brilliant I don't know what it is about it it just seems to smooth out and just I can get quite shiny over the course of it like if I'm wearing full makeup and everything I find I can get quite shiny and this just seems to keep me a bit more matte hold the makeup in place and honestly it's like airbrush so I just love it you have built an online following for many reasons but for what for one your incredible ability to capture feelings and and almost the spirit into words I love the the quote means that you that you share thank you really such an example of words painting an absolute picture what do you hope people take from those that you share I just hope people can find the courage in themselves to be a bit more brave yeah I think I like chasing happiness and joy and encouraging people to find their happy and do what makes them happy absolutely But I think that you can be happy and be really comfortable and not necessarily be branching out. And I think it's in that sticky, gooey kind of nervous place, that uncomfortable place that a lot of life's really good stuff happens. And that could mean doing something scary. And that's different for different people. Doing something scary is not just, you know, going skydiving. Like that might be what it is for you and that's fantastic. But for somebody else, it could be just introducing yourself to somebody totally new. And so I want to encourage people to to go to that place because I think that's where all the goodness is and where you find out about who you really are. We're coming to the final few products on your list. The sixth product is the one that you always repurchase, which is the fluff bronzer, which is also one of my favourites. So tell me again, what makes this bronzer stand out for you? I love that it's not sparkly or shiny necessarily. And it just gets the job done in a really efficient way. You can use more to create, you know, more tan or contour if you like. But some days, many days, I don't wear any makeup at all, but I will most likely still pop my fluff bronzer over the top. Just a bit on the cheeks, a bit around the top. Uh, I just, I love it for the day. I, I wear it at night as well. But I love how you can build it up. And I just love that it's not shiny. Because like I said, I do tend to get sort of shiny and glowy as the day goes on. So I often feel like I don't want to add more shine to my face. Um, And yeah, I just like that it's matte, that it lasts all day. And sometimes when I have been travelling for like a weekend or a staycation or like a country getaway or something like that, I might only bring that and use it on my on my eyes, it's my eyeshadow. It's on my cheeks. It's, yeah, it's a great all-rounder. I love it. And I also love the brand and their ethos and what they stand for. That really resonates with me as well. You are also the director of Camp Awakenings. Yes. Which you have been for over a decade. And yes. they are a youth development program created, I think, for year nine students and teenagers. 
Tell me a bit about that and why it's something you are so passionate about. I think out of everything I've ever done and everything I do, uh, Camp Awakenings is the thing I'm most proud of. Um, I get to work with, and when I say work, I'm a volunteer and the whole team are volunteers. Um, But still, we get to work and we have built and created this amazing program that tangibly changes the lives of teenagers. So we do predominantly have year nines come through our program, which is a three-day camp. We do anywhere from two to four a year, just depending on funding and um, who's who's prepared to give us money to run one. And it's, yeah, it's honestly the most incredible thing seeing an unconfident teenager walk into our camp, walk into our program and then leave with positivity and joy and excitement Um, I think what the program does really well is it gives kids a sense of belonging Um, and for many kids who perhaps well let's be honest when you're a teenager you live at home in whatever environment that might be and you go to school and quite often you don't have really a choice over what that looks like and then maybe if you're lucky you do something outside of school whether it's a sport or dance or something extracurricular but quite often all those things overlap because maybe the extracurricular activity is with people from your school maybe your home environment isn't that great and so you kind of have this bubble where maybe you don't feel like you belong or you haven't found your people necessarily. And one of the brilliant things about Camp Awakenings is it has um, students come, they're all from Victoria mostly, but from so many varied parts. And so these teenagers are meeting people that live two hours away or four hours away or six hours away and they're mixing with people they may not ordinarily have and their whole network is really opened up. Ultimately, we want the kids to walk out knowing that they're in charge of their attitude and what they want to do and who they want to be and to not make any excuses about their lives um, and to just go and be amazing people. And, yeah, seeing that reward, because I have been doing camp for so long, it's seeing those kids come through and I've still got relationships with so many of them today and seeing who they are now and it's, yeah, it's incredible. It's really rewarding. These seventh products on your list are the ones that you would trust with your life. And again, there's a little collection of them here. We've got the Ordinary Squalene Cleanser and the Go-To Fancy Face, which Mm. I can't wait to talk about. A Foaming Cleanser, Dermaplaning Treatments, the Skindinavia Makeup Primer Spray and the Kindly Natural Deodorants. quite a list, isn't it? Tell me about some of those. So I only discovered double cleansing probably a year ago and I wish I had have discovered it so much earlier. So the Squalene... I love that from The Ordinary and it's really affordable and really effective, I find, in terms of getting off SPF and um, makeup and everything. But GoTo have obviously just come out with Fancy Face and it's wonderful. I think I definitely like that more than the Squalene Cleanser. But um, yeah, incredible. Just a couple of pumps on a dry face. You know, oil. I'm talking talking to the preaching to the choir here aren't I keep going but yeah keep oil going. attracts oil and it just gets everything off what I love about it is it's really gentle on the eyes and so if you've got eyeshadow I find that the squalene one doesn't do as good a job um with that and mascaras and things like that but the go-to one is incredible it's relatively new on the scene but I'm already like this is the best thing ever um so I love that but Pairing that, following um, that kind of cleanse with either the ordinary or go-to, using a foaming cleanser. So I've got the go-to foaming cleanser or I get sent a lot of product um, 
for Anya. So, and I try all of it too. I'm very much like, let's give anything a go <laughs> and discover what else is out there. So often I've got some type of other gel or foaming cleanser lying around that I might use, but double cleansing has changed my life. And I'm not even someone that wears makeup every single day. Um, I'm either wearing absolutely nothing or I'm the completely other extreme going to an event and very extra. So there's not really much middle ground. But whether I've just had SPF on my face and my regular products underneath or I've had heaps of makeup, I always do a double cleanse. With this little tool I found around the same time I discovered double cleansing called an exfoliate. Um, I don't know if you have you heard of them I haven't so they're incredible they're like $20 and they last forever but it's this little triangular shaped device that's just got a handle and like it almost looks like a steel blade but it's not a blade at all Um, it's sort of like a blunt edge and when I'm doing that second cleanse with the gel or foaming cleanser I just take that exfoliate and you just wipe off you sort of just press down with a little bit of pressure but not too much and it just like squeaky cleans your face and exfoliates as well um and I know there's Clarisonics and things like that out there but I've never found they've done a great deal for me and this sort of combo of the double cleanse and the exfoliate which I do every night no matter where I am it's happening and I love it and I find my skin has just obviously also using good products as well but my skin has never been better from doing a double cleanse so I swear by it now love it and dermaplaning is something I only discovered probably about eight or nine months ago but I had always a little bit of peach fuzz on my face um, and I found that just having a treatment every sort of two to three months I know they say you can do it every four to six weeks but I don't find the need as much but Again, it's just like a really deep exfoliation. It gets rid of that peach fuzz. And my skin has gotten so much better from those treatments. Um, I find that the product that I'm using, you know, no point spending money on serums and great product if it's not actually penetrating into your face. So, yeah, the double cleanse and that is like a really winning combination for me. Um, I used to have like a lot of blackheads around my nose and stuff and they've all but gone. So I don't know if it is the which part of that combination but I'm too scared to stop any (laughs) one of them just to check and then the other product I had there is the Scandinavia uh, primer spray which is something I discovered um, following Kate Morris from Adore Beauty and she swore by this and I thought I'll just give this a go and see and it's honestly incredible Um, you just pop it on before you start doing your makeup after your SPF as a last step in your routine and It just holds makeup for an entire day and it does not budge. I can't believe it. Like I've used primers in the past and some I found better than others, but I don't know what it is about this that just keeps everything in place. Like you could be in a tornado and still be like (laughs) perfectly done. It's incredible. I've been using natural deodorant for quite a number of years, actually. Like I said, I've always had a bit of a sway towards the green or the plant-based or whatever it may be so I've been using natural deodorant kind of before it was hip I suppose but I've always swapped between them and some of them are really ineffective and not very good and some of them are okay and then I found a brand called No Pong that I still recommend it's really great I quite like it but uh, probably a year ago I found this brand called Kindly and it's a natural roll-on 
antiperspirant sort of style deodorant and it's just incredible. It's the best natural deodorant I've used and they've got great scents as well within them, all kind of essential oil based, but it's the closest thing to regular deodorant that I found that's actually completely natural. So yeah, I really recommend it. And that's again, tying into being scent product with Anya. One of the things I love is that I I get to find out about these brands that are Australian made and owned that I might not ordinarily have come across. I've said that a million times, but it's true. I may not have found out about them because they're not on the shelves at, um, you know, Priceline or in a department store and they're not stocked in your meccas and adore beauties. And so there's the, but there's these great brands out there that are doing really awesome things and maybe just don't have the budget to be able to spend on huge marketing campaigns. And so being able to find those and trial them and then share them with people gets me really excited as well. So I, I do try and support local where I can. Yeah, I love the sound of that one too because it's exactly as you said, I love the idea of natural deodorants. But it's a behavioural change yes. when so many of them typically come in like creams in pots and things. Yes. Which you just, obviously, as long as the the outcome is the same, that's great. But there's a mental change that you need to do. Yeah. With the Nopong, it's, it's a really great product. But I found, yeah, you put your finger in the pot and you rub it on. And it's not that difficult to get used to. But then you're like, oh, well, I wipe this <laughs> bit afterwards. But yeah, that kindly is incredible. What does an ideal Sunday look like to you? An ideal Sunday, if I had to pick one, would probably be um, my husband and I love going down to Point Leo on the Victorian um, sort of coast in the Mornington Peninsula, but kind of the back the backside away from Ryan Dramana where nobody really is, well, not as many people anyway. So a nice warm day, either being there already or heading down there, maybe having a nice smoothie and an ice long black and then sitting on the beach, Oscar's playing, splashing away, boogie boarding and I'm like sitting in a bit of sunshine with my SPF on of course but sitting in a bit of sunshine, reading a book, I think that's a pretty nice way to spend a Sunday. That sounds like a blissful Sunday. The final product on your list is the perfume with a special memory and for you it is an iconic one from the Labo. Tell me what it is and and what your memories around this one are. Yeah, so it's the Lalabo Santal. Is it Santal? I think so. Santal. Santal 33. <laughs> I never know how to say it properly, but it's probably not that hard. So I remember when I was in New York, I think it was the first time I'd been, so maybe 2015, 16, and I was staying in Soho and I'd wandered down into the West Village, which isn't very far, and I'd actually gone through Perry Street, which is where the Carrie Bradshaw apartment is. It's a very famous spot. And I was just wandering around and soaking up this, the sounds and the sights and the smells of the city. And the Lalabo store is literally a couple of blocks from Perry Street. And I just walked past and I remember the smell hitting me before I even noticed the store because it wasn't particularly, you know, it wasn't screaming at you from the street. And I was like, oh, what's this place? And wandered in and I just fell in love with um, with the brand and with the way they, everything from the way they presented everything in store to the people that were working in there to all of the beautiful scents and perfumes and yeah, I found the Santal 33 and I just loved it. It's kind of like earthy and I I don't like perfumes that smell particularly artificial uh, and I found this just to be really natural 
and I was like in New York and it was, I was just loving every second of it sick and I just thought, oh, I've just got to get this perfume. And so when I went home, you know, every time I used it, it just reminded me of being there and, and then I've just kind of stayed with it ever since. So I do use other perfumes from time to time, um, but that is like the staple. Who is someone who has really shaped or inspired you? When I launched On Your Magazine in 2009, I actually had um, a launch party for the magazine on the third level of Magnation on Elizabeth Street in Melbourne. Um, and part of the reason I held a launch party was because I knew in that March when I decided to um, start the magazine that if I didn't have an end date or a deadline, it might not ever happen. And so I just set this date of June 1st as the day that it would launch. But then I also had a launch party with 100 people coming because I figured, well, if that's not motivation to make sure (laughs) this thing is done, then nothing ever will be. So at the time, the founder and the owner and the guy that started Magnation, Sahil Merchant, um, he was very actively involved on the ground at the business there. And I met him because I used to go into Magnation and just as many people did and still do, he, he no longer actually, he sold the business, but he's no longer involved in it. But I used to go in and just sit for hours and have a coffee and read all these amazing titles from all around the world. And when I thought, oh, I wonder if you can hire this space upstairs and we got chatting, that's how I met Sahil. Um, But he gave me a piece of advice all those years ago that I think has really shaped a lot of my career and it was to have coffee each week with three different people. And it sounds odd, um, but I did that for a long time and I met so many wonderful people and I put myself out there and not every person I approached wanted to have a coffee and that's totally fine. But I got to meet a whole range of people just by saying, hey, you want to grab a coffee? And what it did was expand my network tremendously. Um, I've been out with my nephew before and he's like, do you know everybody in Melbourne? <laughs> but I'm like, no, I don't. But honestly, it stems back from that one thing of having coffee three different people each week and sometimes there were strangers from Twitter or you know someone on Facebook or someone I'd met super briefly at an event but I've from that had many wonderful friends that are proper friends now um, and an amazing array of contacts uh, for my kind of career network. I don't do that anymore. I don't have coffee with three different people a week just because I don't have the time necessarily to or can't dedicate the time to that. But I still do it about once a month, I would say, or try to once to twice a month. And whether that's someone in the PR world or an author or whoever it may be, someone I find interesting, I still am quite well known to say, hey, want to grab a coffee? What a brilliant idea. Mm. If you had to pick just one of the products that you talked about today that have that special memory for you, it doesn't have to be practical. I'm giving you lots of your chosen SPF, so you don't need to worry about that. Which one would you take with you to the island to keep you company? That's a very tricky question, but I think it would have to be a curl balm. It would have to be probably the hot tresses the moisturising curl balm, the leave-in one, because I feel like on an island, like I know you give SPF, so I'm covered and, you know, I feel like I'd be fine, but that balm for my hair is everything. So that'd be my choice. Great choice, Sandy. Thank you so much for talking us through your beauty journey and recommendations. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the brilliant Sandy Seeger. You can find where to follow her and on your magazine and all the products that she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS or sign up to my regular beauty newsletter. It's beauty for thoughts and recommendations straight to your inbox. Thank you. And until next week with the with the final episode of season four it's a good one trust me i will see you then bye bye